welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST-72, the soundtrack to the film Desperate Teenage Love Dolls. This is the prequel to Love Dolls Superstar, which we did a few weeks ago, right, Brent? Yeah. Uh, it's more than a few weeks ago. It was a while ago. It was, <laughs> was it uh, SST-62? Yeah, right. All the way back in 2018, we did that episode. So we're into the prequel, which is uh, interesting to get into. Brent, did you have any spiel? Actually, you know what? I've got a spiel. Okay. I got I got to start off a spiel because um, if I'm not mistaken, for our uh, our ep- two episodes ago, episode 70, the Seven Inch Wonders of the World. I know where you're going. You're going to address the controversy, aren't you? We got a we got a huge response, didn't we, from our listeners? <laughs> yeah. I, and I wouldn't call it controversy. I would call it controversy. <laughs> yeah, let's address the um, let's address the elephant in the room, and by that I mean the twelve inch in the room. So we uh, during during that episode, we were talking about how jealous again was noticeably absent from that, and we were kind of like, yeah, I don't know why that happened. Do you know why? No, I don't know why. <laughs> And uh, and then everyone, after we posted it, was quick to point out that Jealous Again, of course, was a 12-inch and not a 7-inch. And yeah. uh, fair enough, that, uh, you know, good catch. And, yep. and, and I got to tell you, I laughed my ass off when, I, when, when you pointed that out to me. Because uh, I, was, I was just kind of like, eh, well, it is what it is. I mean, we both, we, we both work... Uh, you know, full-time jobs, we're full-time dads, full-time husbands. You have two jobs. We do this after everyone has went to bed at night. You know, if we get something wrong, it happens. But something so obvious like that, <laughs> you just got to laugh about it. I think I sent you a text that said, um, Jealous Again was on a 12-inch, not a 7-inch. Signed, everyone who listens to our podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least people are paying attention. And thanks to everyone. I mean, I mean, sincerely, that ain't going to be the last time that happens. And thanks for uh, thanks for helping us out, as always. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. And I just have a quick micro spiel before I throw it over to you. I don't know if you saw this, Brant. You might remember a number of episodes ago, we mentioned that book by John Doe and Tom DeSavia called Under the Big Black Sun, A Personal History of L.A. Punk. Yep. There is, I guess there's a second, like a part two coming out called More Fun in the New World by John and Tom. And it, it um, and this one is subtitled The Unmaking and Legacy of L.A. Punk, basically picking up where the this Under the Big Black Sun book left off and this one covers 82 to 87 and so oh wow i'm i'm actually looking more forward to that one because the under the big black sun it had a lot of stories that were pretty well known i would say yeah and and yeah 82 to 87 is not as well documented so i'm looking forward to that it's coming out in june they say plus that era of x too will be interesting to get into yeah no doubt did you see x is doing a new album they're in the studio right now. Yeah, that's going to rule, period. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, how could it not? Yeah, that's it? That's your spiel? That's it. I just wanted to come clean on the 12-inch wonders of the world. I mean, 7-inch wonders of the world. And <laughs> and mention that book and then throw it over to you, man. 
yeah, well, uh, I hadn't heard about that book, so I'll be watching for that. Uh, let's see, what do I have? Did you see, Ryan, what's happening on Friday, April 12th at the Regent in L.A.? No. Flipper is playing a 40th anniversary show. Oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> with David Yao subbing in on vocals. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I could see that. That would be insane. Yeah, no, I, I I didn't actually, like, put, devote the uh, the location and date <laughs> to memory because it's like, there's no way in hell I'm going, so whatever. Yeah, that'd be something worth traveling to see, though, for sure. Definitely once in a lifetime. Yeah. Definitely. Speaking of shows, this will have already happened by the time this posts, but I saw on Watt's Instagram that he's playing a show with his band Hellride, which is uh, him... Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction, uh, Peter DeStefano from Porno for Pyros. Of course, they were all at one point in Porno, Porno for Pyros, including Watt. And it's their, they, the poster says, Stooges songs in a jazz punk style. Apparently, they've been doing this off and on for, for many years. Hmm, that'd be neat too. I thought so, yeah. Yeah, that'd be neat. What else? Uh, I got Bob's new album, and I loved it. Awesome, right? It's, yeah, it's a... It's almost like a power pop album. Yep. It's got really killer production. There's some like songs that really like I'm a huge Cheap Trick fan and there's a few a few of the cuts really remind me of of Cheap Trick. Okay. Yeah. I just think with this trio it's it's I mean it's no slight to any of his prior combos, you know, when he was playing with Brendan Canty from Fugazi, when he was playing with Sugar, obviously who's to do, but this this trio is very powerful. Love it. Yeah. Did you see, Ryan, the article about Henry Rollins getting the painting that's on the cover of the Rutz album, The Crack? Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> How far out is that? There's a video, too. Oh, I didn't And it's see that. like, yeah, it's him holding, like, the album and standing in front of, like, this four-foot-by-four-foot painting that he now owns. Yeah, when I read that, I was kind of like, well, if it's going to go to a home that where it will be appreciated that's the right place for it totally yeah yeah it's a pretty far out story if anybody hasn't seen it if you google it you'll be able to find it yeah and that's a good ruts record too yeah that's being reissued for the billionth time too but apparently the surviving members like remastered it at abbey road or something like that hmm. so i think it sounds okay right now that's all i have ryan you want to get into this let's get into history lesson part one History lesson, part one. Ryan, where do you want to start, the movie or the album? I'm sure everybody who's listening to this knows this is a soundtrack this week. Uh, well, you know where my head was at is that history lesson would maybe be, a history lesson one, I should say, would be about the movie, and, okay. and two would be about the soundtrack. But I'm easy, man. I'm in your hands. Okay. Well, I watched the, I watched the movie. You can find it on YouTube. And uh, you can also find it on Dave Markey's website, wegotpowerfilms.com, to purchase. And uh, I, I wrote, like, a synopsis for the whole movie. But then, but then I looked in the LP insert, and there's a better one by Dave Markey. So why don't I just read that? Sure. The desperation behind desperate teenage love dolls. It began one day, sometime during the spring of 1983. The concept was born. The brother-sister team of Jordan and Jennifer Schwartz and myself, David Marquis, 
began to mold a project so earth-shattering, so psychedelic, it would drive one mad. You see, we were out to produce a full-length feature film in Super 8 with a lot of friends and a little money. Desperate Teenage Runaways, which was later changed pending legal hassles to Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, was underway. We created a fictitious all-girl rock and roll trio, the Love Dolls. Ah, yes, the Love Dolls, tough, smart, and kick-ass, fighting and fucking their way to the top. Kitty Carryall and Bunny Tremolo, played respectively by Jennifer Schwartz and Hilary Rubens, dream of forming a commercially successful rock band, unaware of the fact that the industry is not all fame, fortune, and glamour. Kitty also hangs out with bad girl Alexandria, played by Kim Pilkington, who convinces her to, her to run away from home. Kitty's old hag mom, an in-drag performance from jo Jordan Schwartz, naturally disapproves. Kitty soon finds out that life on the streets isn't all glamour when a drugged-out Alexandria tries to convince her a public bathroom is a good place to live. Kitty shines on that scene and gets that, gets that band together with the dis discovery of drummer Patch Kelly, played by Janet Housden. Their early practices consist nothing more of Bunny, Kitty, and Patch lip-syncing to their favorite records. It isn't long before they get their act down and meet up with Chief Bigwig scamming manager Johnny Tremaine, played by Steve McDonald, who takes them to the top for a few favors. Enter the cool and ultra-tough Tanya Hurst, played by Tracy Lee, and her all-girl street punk gang, the She-Devils. The She-Devils have their turf, the pier, the She-Devils have their boyfriends, Mike Glass and Des Kadena, and anyone who crosses their path meets with the blade. Guess who they meet? I do think I covered the foundation of Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, and I must thank all the people involved, and I must put a plug in for the video cassette, Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, on VHS or Beta. $22.50 postage paid from We Got Power Films. Sincerely, David Markey, Director, Teenage Love Dolls, Look for the sequel, Love Doll Superstar. That's on the insert of the LP. And that's on the original release because I've got the the re-release, the 1997 re-release. Like this was this came out originally on Gasatanka Records, and then it came out on SST, and then it was re-released in '97 on Sympathy for the Record Industry, which has a much longer insert that's more about the history, the making of the movie rather than a synopsis. But so that one is from, is like, is your copy an SST copy? Well, check this out, Ryan. So this is what Dave Markey told me. Dig this. SST never pressed this album. They used leftover stock from Enigma, who owed SST money at the time. Gasatanka had a P&D, which is a pressing and distribution deal, with Enigma Records. The Gasatanka Records label is found on all SST copies of this. All SST did was change the artwork and print new LP covers. Whoa. Yeah. So any any SST version was just that Gasatanka vinyl. Uh, vinyl. And they, they Enigma set up some deal because they owed SST money, gave them all these LPs. They must have turfed the jackets and printed their own. How many copies of that exist? I have no idea. Probably nobody knows. Yeah, that's interesting. That's definitely putting out the record Econo too. Yeah. Yeah, my my copy has got like a bit of a 
I don't know if you, you probably went to Dave Markey's website and there's a big blog where he talks about the making of this movie, the insert on the sympathy for the record industry re-release from 97. It seems like a condensed version of that blog on Markey's website. Kind of, sort of. Okay. Well, this, what I just read is off the insert of the, the original vinyl. Okay. But there is some good stuff. There's lots of good stuff on wegotpowerfilms.com. Photos from the shoot. There's lots of posters from, you know, screenings they did. And uh, the, the I will say, Ryan, when we get to it, the, the running order is different on the SST version or the gas tank version, whichever you prefer to call it. And so that's the one I went off of. Some A lot of the tracks, well, not a lot, maybe three or four or five are not on that version that are on the CD. Yeah, the CD has actually six extra tracks total. Okay. So we'll we'll walk through basically both sets of tracks, I think, in History Lesson Part 2. Yeah. One of the things I found about the how it was originally supposed to be called Desperate Teenage Runaways, apparently Kim Fowley, who was most people know was like the the first manager of the runaways threatened to sue yeah it says that in the liner notes here too in in my copy pretty much says um film was originally titled desperate teenage runaways until the runaways wonderkind producer kim fowley showed up at the friday the 13th july 1984 premiere of the film he clutched a suitcase he said was loaded with explosives <laughs> Threatening hundreds of people's lives, claiming our film was a ripoff of his life story. He came in tow with a bodyguard who was a large black woman dressed to the hilt in <laughs> in jungle garb, clutching a spear. He threatened oh my God. He threatened Joan Jett and Sandy West would kick our asses even after the fact that he had parted ways less than amicably with the original runaways years before. I suppose it didn't help that we had actual runaway songs dubbed in the film during the Love Dolls live performance, which, oh boy. Was, which was the first thing to go, right? They had to take that out, obviously. Yep. Yep. Uh, but there were a few video versions that were sold that night at the premiere that contained the runaways uh, music. Oh, wow. I was Crazy. Well, I was thinking about that, though. Like, so, I mean, Ballad of a Love Doll, right? That's that's like the theme song. So yes. did you did you were you able to find out like how so this was gonna call des be called Desperate Teenage Runaways, then it yes. was changed to Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, and then at some point all this music with love dolls in it came along. Is that is that Yeah, I got I got a bunch of stuff about that we'll we'll get to when we talk about the album. All right, cool. Um yeah, that's a crazy story. Probably true from everything i know about kim fowley <laughs> it it's awesome that they put runaway songs in there i mean this was a total gonzo movie you know like oh yeah and and i have a huge appreciation my friends and i used to make movies when we were kids and like i nothing like this like i have a huge huge appreciation for the ambition that it would have taken to to put something like this together at that age, at the age that they were, like, total respect for that. Yeah. For they sure. made it for apparently $350. I don't know if I mentioned this, but it was shot on Super 8 film. So 
a few of the people in the film, other than the ones that we already mentioned, um, Mike Glass is in the movie. He was in uh, Sin 34 with Dave. Janet Housden was, of course, in Red Cross for a while. Ken Pilkington we've talked about a few times. Uh, Des Cadena's in the movie. Uh, Phil Newman is a dope pusher. He's like, uh, he ran Spinhead. He was in Painted Willy. I think he was in Sin 34 too. Yeah, Phil Newman played bass in Sin 34. And and when you're mentioning Spinhead, you're talking about the studio, Spinhead Studios. Yeah. Jordan Schwartz, who we just talked to a couple was it last week? Uh or two weeks ago. He's in it twice. He's the he's the mom and he's also like the doctor in the psych ward. Is the mom's name Edith Massey? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they say her name. Okay. I feel like well, let's wait until History Lesson Part 2 when we go through the tracks. I feel like Jordan might be Edith Massey. Okay. Oh, one of my favorite parts, I don't know, this is the part that maybe is Kim Foley's life story, but like Johnny Tremaine, played by Steve McDonald, he's like the greasy record executive that's like going to make the Love love Dolls superstars or whatever. He says something like, I, c- I think I can do for you what God did for mankind or something like that. <laughs> He's in his office and he's on the phone and the, the office, by the way, is like, you know, there's like photos of like a piece of art that's like bubbles or something like that. Yeah. That makes it, makes it look like fish eyed that that's on the wall. It's also on the teen babes from Monsanto, the red cross EP, like their reflection in that thing that's on the wall in his office. And, uh, He's on the phone and like his assistant comes in and says, what does he say? Boy George is on line one for you and Nikki Six is on line three. (laughs) 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 And he's on the, he's on the phone talking about how he's going to get the love dolls to uh, open up for the Beatles or no, the other way around the Beatles are going to reform and open up for the love dolls at the forum. <laughs> and they're going to get Kevin DeBrow to fill in. Do you know who Kevin DeBrow is? No. Who's that? He was the singer for quiet riot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Ryan. It's a really good movie. Everybody should, should check it out in uh, you know, one way or another. It'd be great if you could support uh, Dave and we got, we got power, but if you, if you have to watch it on YouTube, it's a 50 minute cult classic. That's well worth your time. Hey, when I was reading up on it this time around, I found out some info on, um, we got power films. That oh yeah. I drop on, I thought I'd drop on you real quick that, um, we got power films. Obviously the, the name we got power came from the, the zine, that uh, right. that came before it and then they just added films to it but apparently the name we got power came from a negative trend song called i got power well i don't know whether we've mentioned that before but i read that somewhere i don't think we have because i didn't know that that's cool and hey um to everybody who's listening if there's any like cool cameos in the movie that i didn't pick out or didn't mention let us know yeah, apparently, you know, a lot of the extras or whatever were just people on the street, you know, in L.A., right? Oh, it says, like, right at the end of the movie, during the credit roll, it says, thanks to all the street people 
of like Santa Monica or whatever. Yeah. Actually, it says it says it on these liners. It says, uh, all the bands and artists involved, the street people of Venice Beach in Hollywood, California. Yeah. And everyone who eats tostardo or peyote or or Manersha blue, whatever that is. Probably some sort of like pill upper acid maybe upper or downer or something okay well does that mean you're ready to talk about the soundtrack yeah history lesson part two all right so how do you want to do this we've got kind of two sets of track listings i was thinking that what we could do like as an idea would be to go through the original track list and then we could go back and do the extras off the 97 re-release as kind of cleanup. Perfect. Before we do that, I want to give a little little spiel on Gasatanka Records, though. It was run by Bill Bartell, a.k.a. Pat Fear of the band White Flag. And uh, they released a ton of White Flag, like full lengths and 7-inch singles. A few of the other things I picked out that are just things that I like, Permanent Greenlight, which is Mike, Michael Quercio of Salvation Army and The Three O'Clock. Uh, Tater Tots, I don't know anything about them, but like everybody was in that band who kind of revolves around this scene, like Bill Bartell, Sherry Curry from The Runaways, Dave Naz, uh, Dave Landry, both from Chemical People, I believe. Michael Quercio, the McDonald brothers, Jennifer Schwartz was involved. He put out Team Babes from Monsanto by Red Cross, which, by the way, has been recently repressed on Merge, and it's really great um, reissue, if anybody's interested in that. Uh, they did the Anarchy 6 albums that we've talked about before on the Painted Willie episode, I believe. Hardcore Lives and Live Like a Suicidal. Stuff by the FUs, the Necros, Marginal Man, the Zeros. They did that sawed-off 7-inch, which is Buzz, Dale, and Bill Bartell. It was recorded during the Melvin's Houdini sessions. They did a Germs tribute that's got, like, Melvin's, uh, Mike Watt and Jay Mascus doing What We Do Is Secret. It's got the Meat Puppets on it. It's a really cool label. And the, the logo is a parody of Casablanca Records, which any KISS fan would know uh, what that logo looks like. Or George Clinton fan. Um, they also put out a single by a band called Chop. Do you know what that is? No. That's uh, Mike Watt and Des, Kadena, and other folks. Really? Yeah. Hey, Ryan, did you like this? How, did you, how do you compare this to Love Doll Superstar? You know what? I like this one better. I did. Um, even though this one doesn't have dead Kennedys on it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, there, there are some songs on here that I like better, for sure. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of stuff on here that's like really not up my alley. But um, there's a couple of songs in here that I like a lot. Okay. Well, let's start at the start. Track one, side one, Red Cross, Ballad of a Love Doll, written by Jeff McDonald. Uh, recorded by Dave Peterson, who also played drums. Uh, I think he did uh, also recorded Teen Babes for Monsanto. I'm wondering if some of the stuff was maybe not recorded at that same session. In my, li my liner total notes, guess, though. Yeah, in my liner notes, it says that uh, this song, Ballad of a Love Doll, was 
engineered and produced by Dave Peterson on his home four track. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but he plays drums on it as well. Yeah. They had like a zillion drummers in, in uh, Red Cross. Des plays lead on this song. One of the things I like about this soundtrack is like the samples. Oh, yeah. Coming in and out of the songs. Yeah. This is the one that, that has the, thanks for killing my mom. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, that was on the radio spot too. That yeah, yeah. Obviously written for the movie. Uh, I, I really like the harmony harmonies in it. Uh, I love the samples. Like, rock LA. The love dolls are going to rock the world. I like like the the midsection has like a doo wop like a sixties doo wop kind of breakdown that's really good. I don't like it as much as the theme song to Love Doll Superstar, but it's still really good. Brent, when you're listening to this record and watching the movie, were you just like so jealous that you didn't do this? Oh yeah, man. I wish I would have had had half the ambition to do something. Like we were really lazy when we did ours, you know. Yeah. I can I can just I can hear it in your voice about how you're like you wish you would have also written and produced a soundtrack. Well, we did, <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't this good, you know. Yeah. Like my band, my band Dog Breath, did soundtracks for our movies, but I mean, it was all like nothing. None of it was really planned out, you know, and like nothing on this scale. I I don't think we would you know that's i think the proximity to maybe the punk movement movement and the diy attitude you know like i don't think we thought we could do stuff like this maybe yeah i don't know all right next up okay so track two red red cross with joanna spacola mcdonald and they do a song called legend so this song is featured heavily in the movie this is the band's big single that you know, all the radio stations are playing. This is their, they do a video for it almost in the movie. So this song was written uh, by a band called Backstage Pass. And they were uh, an L.A. band. Well, I found a few things on them. Marina uh, Del Rey uh, went to the Whiskey in 1975 to see the Runaways. And her and her friends... I decided to start a punk band that night and got this band Backstage Pass going and they helped launch The Mask and they played around California with bands like Devo, Elvis Costello, The Screamers, Weirdos, The Nuns, that kind of first wave of LA punk bands. Uh, Jenna Bodie or Body was in the band and the singer was Joanna Spock Dean and Jenna went on to play in the Scream and Sirens, who we've mentioned a few times. They were on New Alliance briefly. And it was Dave who tipped me off to this. I asked him, who is uh, Joanna Spacola McDonald? And he said, uh, at the time, she was managing both Red Cross and the Bangs. Oh, cool. Yeah. Her, her name was actually Joanna Spock Dean. I don't know if she took McDonald because of the Red Cross connection or... Or what? But he kind of hit me to the to who she was, and then I went back and checked out this this backstage pass band. I didn't really find a lot of recorded history. They do have the so, so they did this song, um, 
Legend. It was one of their songs. And I found they have a, a Rhino Records did a comp in 1978 called Saturday Night Pogo, which is the covers like a parody of Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> and there's a bunch of those bands on it, like the Dogs are on there, Richard Meltzer's, Meltzer's band Vom, who we've mentioned a few times, the Dills, the Motels, and then this song by, by Backstage Pass. It's subtitled Come On Up To Me. It doesn't quite have like the killer chugging like riff during the verses on their version oh this sounds like barracuda by heart yeah it does but i like it and uh so yeah it's joanna on vocals she's like the she does the vocals you know for the love dolls on the soundtrack it's got a really killer like uh johnny thunders solo it's total thunders the solo by jeff mcdonald i really liked that White Flag with JSM. Again, Joanna Spacola McDonald. You Got Me, written by Bill Bartell, a.k.a. Pat Fear. So Greg Hetson on lead guitar. Yep, from Bad Religion. Recorded at Spinhead by Phil Newman. You can find out more on episode 57, Mind Bowling, if you want to learn more about Spinhead. And I actually like White Flag. I've got a, a number of their records. They put out a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, but when they're when they're kind of doing a soundtrack trying are they a joke band like i don't know anything about white flag it seems like they are though yes and no i mean they're definitely um like they were an la punk rock band formed in 82 uh white flag is obviously a play on black flag they had kind of names in the band that were you know kind of a, a takeoff on f famous punk names like mike mess instead of mike ness jello b afro instead of jello b afro pat fear of course which is uh, bill yeah. bartell um i would say yes and no my my take on it and what i've read up on them is that they were they were trying to maybe maybe try to uh inject a little less seriousness you know, and not be so yeah. political. Uh, I like their records. I don't, I mean, I have a, just a handful of them and they've got a ton out there and they're all over the place too. Like I've got a, some singles, which are very different than their LPs, but yeah. um, I, they, I mean, I wouldn't write them off as a joke band. I would not do that. Okay. They just seem like they do a lot of parodies. They definitely do. Yeah. And they had like just a, a huge rotating lineup of tons of people that went through that band. Like they had like the core members around Pat Fear, and then there was like thirty other members or something like that throughout the years. Okay. And so it was it was just um I mean, I guess maybe I, how I would put it is they just didn't really take themselves that seriously. Okay. But they were a serious punk band. All right. Track four, Running Fast by Greg and Greg. Written by Greg Graffin, of course, of Bad Religion, and he also plays guitar and drums on this recording. And Greg Hetson, who most people know, uh, was on, uh, like, in Red Cross at the, I think, pretty early on. He played on their first Posh Boy single. He plays guitar and ride symbol on this recording i asked dave 
what he could tell me about this song. And he says it was written and recorded specifically for the film before Hetson joined Bad Religion, uh, which most people will know he joined in 1985 for the Back to the Known EP. Yeah, and Greg, of course, is the guitarist for... Uh, and Greg Hetson, I should say, the guitarist for Circle Jerks. And Bad Religion, though, and, yeah. Yeah, and Bad Religion, of course. I got a, yep. quest- I got a question for you. Yep. Brant, do you like Bad Religion? Uh, here's my thing about those kind of... Ba- yes, I don't love them or anything. I like, you know, their early stuff more than their later stuff. Like but suffer, like, like suffer, no control against the grain. Yeah, a lot of that's just because I know it. Like I don't really know anything after, say, Stranger Than Fiction. Okay. Which, which, but I like that. I like Recipe for Hate. I don't listen to it all the time, but I, you know, I listen. I would listen to like Suffer No Control, um, that that kind of stuff. The first album, How Could Hell Be Any Worse? Is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah, I, I listen to that stuff from time to time. Um, but it's hard not to think of a lot of bands that I really don't like, like No Effects and all that stuff that came after them. Like, I don't know, No Use for a Name or whatever, that kind of stuff. Like Mall Punk, I call it. Yeah, like the... And maybe I'm being unfair to it, but it's so... I don't know. It's all so samey to me, yeah. Pennywise. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. For a number of years, I was huge into Bad Religion, and I still buy all their records. There's still something there for me in each yeah. record. They they've really branched out. I think, hey, like they're not. A, uh, they would they would do like a almost like a country song now. Mm, I wouldn't say that. I mean, they definitely no. have. But but here's the thing. I mean, Greg Graffin when he when he puts out put out his solo records i mean especially his first one where the weaker dance was i think they were his backing band i mean what he was where he was coming from is like look punk rock is a type of folk music that's how that's how he characterized it so when you when you look at bad religion and i mean they did kind of start a lot of what you would call turned into the mall punk melodic southern california hardcore and there's a zillion bands that kind of got really popular doing that type of stuff in the 90s and um and bad religion kind of went a little mid-tempo which might be what you're thinking about on some records but um yeah now that uh you know mr brett is back in the band and stuff it sounds it's all really melodic uh lots of syllables lots of big words really fast punk rock well produced well played and um i don't know like i think I, the thing is is like even when some of those new melodic bands came out i checked them out like, i mean what was i you know 14 15 something like that and uh, i was yeah. a big bad religion fan so i checked them out i did not stick with them but i've stuck with bad religion I still like them i'll throw them on from time to time but if we're talking about the other greg greg hetson i will take Circle Jerks, Group Sex, I, I mean, I know they're not the same bands, but I'll listen to Circle Jerks Wonderful every time before I'll put on a Bad Religion album. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, yep. I've never asked you about that. I was curious. Anyways, keep going. Uh, I like this song. It's a, 
you know, really nice acoustic track. It's Neil Young-esque for me, big time. You could hear uh, this song as a sped-up Bad Religion song, for sure. Because yeah. it just sounds so Greg Graffin. Yeah. All right, uh, track five, Johnny Tremaine's theme. Let's see. I don't. I'm not sure if you mentioned the singer in White Flag. I think, or the singer on this track, anyways, is Al Bum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one was recorded at good old Mystic Studios. This is the. This one has the sample. I think I could do for you girls what God did for mankind. All I could think about every time I heard the name Johnny Tremaine is that band, the Motards. Oh, why? Uh, well, they have an album with a song called Johnny Tremaine on it. Oh, really? Okay. Well, it's obviously yeah. taken from this. I assume so. It's really hard to make out the lyrics. I listened to it this week, but I couldn't understand if it was about the character Johnny Tremaine. But the big pick thing I picked out of this is they do the Sympathy for the Devil. The hoo-hoo! <laughs> yeah. It's totally a reference to that song. Yeah. Track 6, Sin 34, 12-Hour Trip. This is a cool tune. Yeah. Features Dave, Party Shag, Marky on drums. I, I actually, <laughs> that's what it says in the liners. I really like this song. It's like, uh, it's almost got a gothy vibe to it. It's got a really cool Guinness solo. It's got some cool reverb on the vocals. Track seven, Red Cross, Charlie. So on the insert, that I keep referencing, they're credited as Red Cross, spelled R-E-D-C-R-O-S-S. -S. And I looked up, like, the lineup on this song, Johnny Nobody on drums, Tracy Lee Hurst on rhythm guitar, who's one of the character, one of the actors in this movie. I'm pretty sure, uh, Jeff McDonnie Osmond on lead acts. I'm pretty sure this is, like, an old Red Cross recording. Oh, okay. How is uh, how is the name Charlie spelt on yours? Mine is I E. Uh, it's C H. A R L Y. Yeah, I noticed that that there it's spelt differently on the different editions for some reason. Hmm. Pretty sure this is an early Red Cross track before they changed the the spelling of their name. It's, I don't know. It's a good trashy garage rocker. Uh, it sounds a lot more low budget in in the recording. It sound to me it really reminds me of this Alice Donut song, American Lips. I just kept hearing that every time I heard it. Although I guess this would have come out before the Alice Donut song, American Lips, so other way around. Long before I bet. Yep. Yeah. Did you ever see Alice Donut so, play? Uh yep. When did you see them? Was it the same time you did No Means No and Ultra Bidet Tour? Oh, yeah. Really? You were at that show? Different show than you, but yep. Okay. Don't you remember my famous bootleg recording? <laughs> Getting primed in the parking lot? Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, well, that's the only time I saw Alice Donut as well, that same tour. But. What Brant is talking about is when Brant and I met when we were like kids or whatever, you know, obviously we were trading tapes and stuff like that. And uh, Brant recorded uh, this concert 
this tour, No Means No, Ultra Bidet, and Alice Donut. And was it like a... On a, on a tape recorder. Yeah. And like, was it... <laughs> An old school tape recorder. <laughs> like yeah. The kind, the, the kind the cassette goes in like the flip up thing on the top. Yeah. yeah. You held... <laughs> That's when I recorded it. <laughs> you held that. Uh, but anyways, Brent gave me a copy of that. And the, uh, the tape, you, you, you didn't just record the concert. You recorded you and your friends... I think having a drink in the car outside in the parking lot before the show. And when making the tape, you had to include that as well. <laughs> yeah. Getting primed, getting primed, for, primed up for the show, I think is how we put it. Yeah. Pretty sure. <laughs> I'm sure that bootleg is making its rounds around the internet as we. Oh, I've, I've seen it on the internet before. <laughs> the The track is even titled like, dudes partying in car or something like that <laughs> yeah 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 uh flip it over and we're on side two nip drivers fox on the run this is a song the original version which is near and dear to me i i was a kid in the 70s so i grew up on my friend's parents record collections and Everybody had the sweet album Desolation Boulevard, which I still have. Love it. Um, this is this is one of their more famous songs. Many of their most famous songs, like Ballroom Blitz, were written by their producers, uh, Nikki Chin and Mike Chapman. But this song, Fox on the Run, was actually written by the Sweet. Hmm. Lots of people from that era cover the Sweet too, like um, Ballroom Blitz. Of course, has been covered many, many times. But like the Damned. The Fastbacks do a great version of the sweet song Set Me Free that I've always really liked. Yeah, I like the Nip Drivers, but I just can't like Sweet. Yeah. Tell me about the Nip Drivers. Uh, Nip Drivers were a California punk band from uh, early 80s. They, uh, they had an LP out on New Alliance Records called Destroy Whitey from 84 which I really like. And they also had a record called, Oh, I think it's Oh blessed freak show. That was on a, a label enigma slash, uh, Bemis brain, which we mentioned oh, yeah. on the leaving trains episode last week. I believe that one came out, eight, right. came out in 85 and you can actually get both of those records. Tang actually put both of those records out on a compilation CD. And, um, yeah, they're a good band. Um, too yeah. bad about this song for me anyways <laughs> alright the next song Black Flag Life of Pain love this song written by Greg Ginn we've talked about this before uh, this was in Enter Naomi um, Joe Carducci's amazing book that this he mentions something about that this was like uh, Ginn's response to the song Room 13, which uh, was the lyrics, I believe, were written by his then-girlfriend, Medea. Um, specifically, like, tra lines like, look what you've done to your arms. I think she was quite, like, a self-destructive person. This song's off damage, too, right? It is. Um, I love, like... The it's so awesome how that kick drum goes for a one beat longer on the intro in the mid the mid section. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Love that. That's like the start of the Black Flag creepy crawl for me. 
is like this era of the band. So love this song. Third track, Red Cross, Self-Respect. The, the, the liner notes inside the LP say C number seven. So they're talking about uh, the track Charlie. So same thing. And again, this is just a short little blast of punk rock. So I really am convinced that this is uh, early Red Cross, like R-E-D-C-R-O-S-S. -S. Yeah, I mean, in my release, uh, it's all K-R-O-S-S. -S. Next up is a really interesting track. Dark Side is the name of the band. The track's called Right Right. And I got a, I couldn't really find anything on this band, so I asked Dave about them they're from they were from palm springs they're fronted by herb lanau who wrote this song uh they also featured mario lally of fatso jetson and many other bands we've talked about them him a few times now queens of the stone uh, age and... perfect rat sort of quartet quartet and wasn't he in yawning man too he was i'm sure it's kind of this like desert rock group of dudes right yeah Scott Reeder, who would be in Caius, was played on this, and also uh, uh, Unida. Yep, yep, and uh, Alfredo, what's his name? Hernandez. Yeah, Alfredo Hernandez, who would also go on to Caius, and they were Caius, sorry, and they were all friends of Dave's since the early '80s. And I think he was in sort of quartet as well. Yeah. Do you like Caius, Ryan? No, but I do like Caius. <laughs> I do like Caius. I do. And I like Queens of the Stone Age, too. I'm not afraid to admit it. Yeah. I uh, never really got into Queens of the Stone Age, but I love Caius. Yeah, I do. It's it's like, you know, you tease me for not really like metal. That type of stuff is like about as metal as I get. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I like it. It's 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 nice and low and heavy. I always like that. This song is not low and heavy. This is like... I like this song a lot. I knew you would. Yeah. It's like... It sounds like Dag Nasty or something like that almost. I, I don't know. I, I wish I could find more on these guys. I really... Like I don't think there is more to find, man. Yeah, I really like them. Like, I don't think there's... I don't think there's any other recordings. Not that I could find. There probably is somewhere, but... Not yeah. easy to find anyways. It's a really good song. Track five, White Flag, again with JSM, Hot Bitch with an Electric Guitar. I wrote, I wrote kind of a lame song, pretty bad lyrics. And then we ended off with a kind of unnecessary uh, instrumental version of Ballad of a Love Doll, which is, of course, used during the credit roll in the movie. Now, do you want to know what's on the re-release? Yep. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll go slightly, slightly rapid fire, because... Um... It, it's, I have a few things on some of these tracks too. Okay. So. Well, there's not a ton um, going on for me. No, like on the CD, track number four is actually it's a, a Red Cross song called "Out of Focus," which also appears on the New Underground Records comp from '83. Life is boring, so why not steal this record? Yeah. I just wrote, not sure about that slap back on the cowbell, but I do like the wah wah solo. <laughs> whoa whoa you're really harshing the cowbell um generally i'm in favor of cowbell but the slapback kind of puts it out of time i'm trying to think of like is there any you know what 
probably the first band that comes to my mind that I actually have that has cowbell on it, and I probably only have a few. It's actually Queens of the Stone Age is what comes to mind. Oh, I bet you Dale Crover breaks out the cowbell from time to time, no? <sighs> he might, he might, but I'm not sure if it's cowbells or just bells that um because mm. there there are cowbells that you know you know the ones that cattle will have and then there are actual and i'm not talking about like jingle bells or wind time. no you mean a bell there no and i don't mean a bell with like a um with a a hammer inside it i mean that there are ones for drummers that are kind of shaped like cones and they're in a in a row and uh and they mm. almost sound more like a wood block Oh yeah, Neil Peart has those. Yeah, like twenty of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know who rocks a cowbell, hey? Who? Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. I don't. E I don't even know what that is. I have. I've now mentioned two members of the crew in this episode. Oh. Can I get? Can I fit in Vince Neil and Mick Mars? Boom! Just did. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, um, you know what? It's interesting. You know, I don't know. This is a bit random, but remember I mentioned I'm reading that book about uh, Frank the Shank. Uh, yeah, they definitely in that book talk about going to shows like in L.A. and Hollywood and and uh, the surrounding little towns and cities or whatever. There's a uh, there's kind of a story that is told in that book about how <laughs> like David Lee Roth pulled up at like a a punk gig not knowing what not knowing what it was and right. apparently he comes out of the car and he's like just expecting uh I, I can't remember what it is but he's like hey everyone look who's here you know he's kind of <laughs> kind of just expecting like any place that he goes everyone just like mobs him and he's like a huge celebrity and you're right and uh eddie van halen apparently was driving the car as as he pops out <laughs> and he's like hey everyone <laughs> And then he gets a look at like what the crowd is like. And then he apparently he like just runs right back in the car. And he's like, step on it. <laughs> <laughs> they just peel out. Yeah. Something like that. Nice. I'm not doing it justice. Um, anyways, tracks not on the original. The next one is number 10 on the re-release. It is a song by the bags called survive. Yeah, that was a good one to put in the movie. It's got like this total West side story, like, type vibe to it really reminds me of this killer alice cooper track called gutter cat versus the jets that's on school so school's out this bag song was on a danger house single in 1978 right i think alice bag is she, is she record she's still recording stuff right she did an album like a year ago yeah or two years ago that's, that yeah. must be what i'm thinking of um and then the next songs are two Red Cross instro tracks, Stairway to Heaven. Oh, I forgot to mention who else was in the bags, right? Oh, okay, go go for it. Bruce Duff. <laughs> but is he, uh... he, he? He's not, I made that up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stop yourself. The next two tracks are 12 and 13 on the re-release, both by Red Cross, an instrumental version of Stairway to Heaven, an instrumental version of Purple Haze, which are basically, um, I, I would say that they are, uh, they're authentic to the original version, but then they kind of abridge them and rock them out. Right. 
so Stairway to Heaven, they he does the solo, which is awesome. Every guitar player has tried to learn that solo. I know I did. Um, it's used to great effect in the movie. It's kind of the scene where Kitty Carriol's all bummed out and she's sitting on the beach playing her acoustic. And then the she-devils confront her. And it that's when the solo kicks in and there's a... They wrestle her and, like, I think her name's Patty Hurst or whatever. The the leader of the she-devils is all like, this bitch is mine. <laughs> and comes at her with a knife and she ends up getting shanked with it. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Purple Haze is on Love Doll Superstar, too. Oh, this recording, this recording. Oh, I don't. If I'm remembering. Yeah, I don't remember that. Uh, well, anyways, the last two tracks are the the track 18. It's the radio spot for Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, which is kind of neat to hear. Like, uh, yep. I mean, it's definitely a Gonzo radio spot as well, which is cool. Yep. Yep. And then the very last track is an interview with Steve and Jeff McDonald on the KXLU Stella Strait Pop Show. And the reason I asked you whether um, Schwartz was Edith Massey is because like an old lady uh, sounding person kind of uh, interrupts this interview and her name is Edith Massey, but it's totally some guy with like doing some old lady voice. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that's Jordan Schwartz though. Hmm. Hey, one of the cool things I found is Mystic Records did a limited run, about a hundred, according to Bill Bartell, uh, to of a promo single to promote it, and it's got the Ballad of a Love Doll on the A side and a White Flag song called Pieces of Chris Trent on the B side, and it came with a flyer for the Video World Premiere Party. Oh yeah, yeah, on Friday the thirteenth. With Kim Fowley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the artwork, Ryan. Yeah, it's cool. It's definitely a throwback to like 70s stuff, hey? Yeah, it's like, a, I would say definitely a, uh, like an exploitation movie type artwork. Yep. For sure. And there's two different versions, like the original version the Gasatanka SST, and then this yep. the sympathy version that I have. It has a different um, artwork, but still kind of done in the same same style. I would say same theme. Yeah, there's like tabs of acid, syringes, skulls, guns, like the a girl with like the Charlie Manson X thing on her forehead. Lots of well endowed women. Here's another thing I got from Dave. I asked him about Sean Cowart, the artist. He said he's a friend of Bill Bartels from Riverside. Mostly Bill's doing. This is the artwork. But Sean had seen the film. He also did some uh, work for the sequel, the back cover of the VHS and the LP. Right. Ted Connect, he had something to do with some of that too, though. Do you want to do the ballot result, Ryan? Sure. Ballot result. I'm guessing you want to put the Greg and Greg track on there, hey? Or the Dark Side track? I would lean towards the Dark Side track. The Greg and, yeah. Greg, and Greg track is probably my second favorite one on the record, though. I like the Sin, Thir Sin 34. I like the Bag song on the uh, on the 
uh, re-release. I don't mind some of the White Flag, like the You Got Me song. I don't mind that one too bad, I guess I suppose. But my favorite would definitely be Dark Side. Yeah, I like all those songs. The Sin 34 one's really good. I wanted, I kind of wanted to do Legend since it's the band's single, and I really like it too. Yeah, you go for it. This is a this is a Brant record. This ain't a Ryan record. Well, all those songs you mentioned are good, but I feel like we should put on the Love Doll single, the single from you know from the band. Yeah, I'm good with that, no problem. But I after this, uh, after we're done taping, I'm gonna slap on that Dark Side song again. That's fair. Yeah, Ryan, what's next week? Brant, next week the Doctor is in. Not just not oh. just any Doctor. Do you know which Doctor it is? Not the Nazi sex doctor. <laughs> yeah, it's SST73, the SWA record, sex doctor. Oh, boy. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.